We continually crave comfort in the midst of an uncomfortable world. Yet, are we confident in the course of our efforts? We serve up for ourselves more than we need of what we thought we were missing only to find ourselves empty. Settling in alongside well-worn whims or lackadaisical luxuries that lead to lethargy. We embrace a version of comfort that may momentarily mask our worry, but soon find ourselves bouncing back to what has bound us up. If we have any hope of releasing control of the comfort we've kept wrapped up tight, we'll need to start with surrender. And in surrender to Jesus, we find comfort for life in the kingdom of God. I want to wish all of the moms who are tuning in at our campuses or our venues or wherever you are around the world, I want to wish you a very special happy Mother's Day weekend. You deserve it, not just once a year, but all the time. You know, moms play such a critical part in our lives and both Marsha and my wife and I lost our moms in the last couple of years and boy, do we ever miss them and just being able to celebrate with them. And uh, we can't wait until the Lord returns or calls us home and we have that great family reunion. I want to tell you about two women who had been waiting and they were getting a little bit impatient because you see their brother was really sick and the only person who could possibly save his life was their dear friend, Jesus. And they sent word, but Jesus didn't show up and their brother, Lazarus, died as a result of it. You know, when you read that ancient story found in John chapter 11, it does remind all of us of those moments in our own lives when we pray and we ask God to intervene, perhaps in a life or death situation, and it just feels like God doesn't show up. And we wonder why. We wonder why we should even pray. Does God really care? Does God know what's going on? Especially when it comes down to a life and death situation. This is the final episode in our brief little season where we've been talking about the comfort that Christ brings to us. We've said that Jesus is our shepherd and that he wants to guide our lives. And we learned last weekend that we can hand everything over to him and when we steward our lives for him, the lives he's given to us, all the way down to our finances, that we can have peace in our lives and we can have comfort. This weekend, I want to talk about the big threat to our sense of being comfortable, and that is the whole issue of death. And in order to find comfort in death, we're going to explore this story that you can find and follow along with me if you'd like, John chapter 11. Now let me give you the setting, and I've got a little interactive map that we can look at. The setting is a place called Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. As we come down on it, you'll see that Bethany is over here toward the east 
of Jerusalem. I've actually been there back in the 90s. And you can see Jerusalem is just the way across. So often when Jesus would come to Jerusalem, he would then spend time over in Bethany across the way beyond the Mount of Olives where he would stay with this family of two sisters, Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. And you get this sense that it was a favorite place of Jesus. Now back in the 90s, I had the opportunity to visit the site of ancient Bethany and actually visited a tomb there that some claim was the tomb of Lazarus. Nobody knows for sure. But I want you to know that this, this is a true story, as the Bible is a true story for us. This is not some myth. This is not something that's made up. There was a real place called Bethany, and there were real sisters, Martha and Mary, and their real brother, Lazarus. And Jesus used to interact with them, and they had a close friendship. So when Lazarus got sick, we find out in verse 1, it was not just a cold or a little virus or a flu. It was a serious illness. And we know that because of how desperate they get. See, they, they believe that their brother is going to die. And no doctor has been able to help and no prescription and medication has been able to help. And so they sent a message, a dispatch to Jesus asking him to come. In fact, it says right there in John eleven three. so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, and look what they say, your dear friend is very sick. And when they say very sick, what they mean is he's going to die. This is like a serious illness, and it's your dear friend. And I am sure that the ladies must have felt themselves that, whew, we don't need a doctor. We, you know, we, we don't need any herbs or whatever medicines they had available in those days. We have Jesus, and we know that Jesus can make the blind to see. He can make the deaf to hear. He can make the dumb to speak. We know he can make the lame to walk, and he can raise people up from the dead. So we, we can count on the fact that Jesus is going to show up, and everything's going to be okay with our brother. Now, all of us face situations in our lives that we look at, and we just go, unless God shows up, you know, this is not going to turn out. And we try to have this confidence in our prayer life. We try to have this confidence in our faith that, that if we ask God, surely God will, God will show up. But look what it says. It says over in verse 5 and 6, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And what we discover is that Jesus intentionally stays there knowing all right knowing that Lazarus is going to die in fact over at verse 15 he says to his disciples I'm glad I wasn't there which is perplexing isn't it I mean your dear friend is dying and you've heard from the sisters that they want you to come right away but you don't go right away you keep ministering and then you tell your disciples that we're going to go now. And by the way, he's dead. And I'm glad I wasn't there so that he died. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? And it had to have not made much sense to Martha and Mary. 
And it kind of begs a question in our lives sometimes. And the question is, is Jesus glad to not show up when you and I need him the most? Because sometimes, if we're going to be honest with each other, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? It's just like, I don't understand why God didn't intervene. I don't understand why God didn't heal. I don't understand why God didn't deliver in this situation. And we get frustrated with the Lord. Because this whole issue of death frustrates us. And you know, the world struggles to know how to deal with death. You know, there are a couple of ways the world thinks about death. Uh, one is well put by a French historian, Philippe Arias. And Philippe Arias said this, and it's quite remarkable. He wrote a lot about death. He said, for society's sake, we must hide the unbearable disturbance caused by the ugliness of dying. People need to believe that life is happy. Now, do you hear what Arias is saying? What he's saying is, look, we need to learn to deny death because if we don't deny death, we'll be overcome by it. My brother uh, lives and works in Japan for Honda. And he was telling me the other day that up until about the 80s, the mid to late 80s, if a person in Japan, if a Japanese person had a terminal illness, a serious illness that was probably going to result in their death, the doctors would not tell that person. And that person didn't want to be told. They would tell the next of kin, but they wouldn't tell that person. Why? Because they wanted that person to enjoy as much as possible whatever life they had left. And when the Japanese physicians and people were pressed as to, but why do you do that? Finally, one said, because we're not like you Westerners. We don't have a real sense of life after death. This is it. So why tell somebody they're going to die? Why make their life worse as a result of it? Now, that practice my brother has, says has changed, and they're more forthright about those things and, and trying to treat people and help them through their situations. But this whole idea that if we deny death, it won't affect us, doesn't work. It doesn't work because we all know we're going to die. Of course, the other opinion is to embrace death and to look at death as a friend, uh, to look at death as, as final peace, uh, to look at death as, you know, the culmination of life, that it's the natural thing. Well, as my mom used to say, rubbish, rubbish. That's not true. All of us are uncomfortable with death. That is, those of us who are mentally healthy and well, we look at death and we just, we just have a sense that this is wrong. This is not right. This is not what's supposed to be in my life. This is not what I'm supposed to experience. I was made for more than just this. So can you imagine how Martha and Mary must have felt watching their brother die knowing that Jesus could have been there and saved his life. But he didn't show up. And I've often thought, how do you think Lazarus must have felt? Because, you know, before he lost consciousness or whatever, 
as the light started going out, so to speak. I wonder if he had some thoughts going through his mind. I thought Jesus was this, was this friend of ours, but he cared about us. I mean, what have we done wrong? Did, did we insult him? Did we, did we hurt his feelings? Is he too busy? Has he lost his power? Has he, is he upset with us? I tell you what, it had to be an awkward moment when Jesus finally did show up. And Martha, who was never at a loss for words, confronted Jesus and she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Whoa. I wonder how Jesus felt when he saw and heard Martha say that. And then Jesus and Martha had a bit of a conversation that I'll come back to in a little bit. But Martha went on and she told Mary, her sister, that the teacher was wanting to see her. So now here comes Mary, who is more quiet, more contemplative than Martha. But Mary can't help herself. She comes hurriedly. A bunch of mourners come hurriedly with her because they think she's going to the tomb to weep. But she comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus. And here's what she says. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. My brother would not have died. Man, talk about a heart-wrenching scene. And all the witnesses, you know, that are around, they're kind of watching this whole thing take place it's almost like a it's almost like a crisis and what's fascinating as you read on in the story you get to verses 33 and 38 you find out that Jesus gets deeply angry so now you've got this whole tension right you have Jesus who was told our brother is sick come and save him and he waits he doesn't go so that Lazarus will die and then he tells his disciples, and I'm glad we didn't go. So is he glad that he died? And now he's deeply angry about the situation. What, what is he angry about? Well, we'll come back and answer that question in just a moment. But I think we better start answering some other questions that I've raised or I'm in big trouble. So let's go back and let's look at some things I purposely left out. They're going to help us understand why Jesus allows this death to occur. It's because he's trying to teach not only Mary and Martha and the people of his time something really important, but he's trying to teach you and me something very important when it comes to death, when it comes to our death. This, here's what Jesus said. John chapter 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, notice twice Jesus mentions that this whole thing is happening. It's going to happen to Lazarus, and he's holding back, and he's not going right now. 
because God is going to get glory out of this situation. That Lazarus' sickness will not end in final death. Yes, Lazarus is going to die, but Jesus refers to it as sleep. Because really there is no eternal death for us. There is a death of our body, but our spirit will live on. Now, it's either going to live on in the presence of God, or if we reject God, it'll live on in the absence of God, what is known as hell. But Jesus brings their focus to not death, but God's glory. And I want to challenge those of you who are followers of Christ, that when we think about our death, or the death of our loved ones who love the Lord. Let's, let's stop asking why, okay? And let's start asking what. What does God want to accomplish through my death? What does God want to accomplish through his or her death? Or what does God want to accomplish through my illness or my suffering or my sickness? And what we know is that God wants to glorify himself. Now, I know some of you think to yourself, it's Mother's Day. I can't believe he chose to talk about death on Mother's Day. This should be an uplifting service. I should be encouraged. Hang in there. You're going to be so encouraged at the end. Because I'm going to give you something to look forward to. Instead of us living in denial of death and and running from death and being afraid of death because we are all going to face it, there there is an opportunity to glorify God in our life circumstances, to bring glory and honor to him. Because see, look, Jesus saw Lazarus' illness as serving a greater purpose of God. And my challenge to you and to me is let's start looking at our lives as lives that God leaves here on this earth. Because he could take us home. But he leaves here on this earth to serve a greater purpose, the glory of God. Do you want to live for the glory of God? Will you allow God to take any and every situation in your life and use it for his glory? Listen to what Peter says. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must, here it is, endure many trials for a little while. Maybe you're going through a trial right now. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. You see, when you go through a trial, it's an opportunity to exercise the muscle of faith. And when people see that faith, they go, there must be a God. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory. Ah, do you see what's happening now? You see, God says, I'm going to let you go through certain trials. I'm going to let you go through death, not just to glorify me, but If you go through it the right way, it's going to bring my glory to you, like the spotlight's going to include you as well. He says, And glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Look what he now says in John 17. Jesus is praying. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, 
The hour has come. Look what he says. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Jesus is about to suffer terribly. He's about to be crucified on the cross. And look at his focus. His focus is, God, Father, glorify yourself. And in glorifying yourself, glorify me. He says, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. And Jesus has invited you and me into this glorious experience with him. Now listen carefully. God wants to glorify himself in and through your life, in and through your suffering, and even in and through your death. Not only does he want to glorify himself, but listen carefully, he wants to glorify you. Because remember, where does the Lord live? Where, where is God present today? If you're a follower of Christ, you are his tabernacle. He is present in you. And when you and I suffer, listen, Christ suffers in us and Christ suffers with us. We don't suffer alone. And the Lord never asks us to go through something that he himself has not also experienced. Would you think about this for a minute? When Jesus suffered and hung there on the cross, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you realize what he was saying? When I need you the most, Father, you didn't show up. You didn't show up. But I want you to be glorified. And I want your will and not mine. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what you're going through right now. But I want you to know that though you may not see it and understand it, God has a purpose for it to glorify himself by how you and I handle it and to shed that spotlight on you and me as well. Now stay with me and let's go back to our story and I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus said to Martha after Martha said, Lord, he'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Here's what it says. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now look, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he says, do you believe this, Martha? And I want to ask you the question. Do you believe what Jesus has just said? 
Because in his words are two resurrections. And as a believer in Christ, you and I have already experienced the first resurrection. It is a spiritual resurrection in our lives, as Tim Keller says. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go to a passage of Scripture here. Paul says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? That's right, He lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So something's going to happen someday. You're going to have a a second resurrection, so to speak. You're going to have a brand new body. But right now, what will give birth to that new body already lives in you, the seed, the Spirit of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You belong to Him. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Do you get that? We are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, look what he says, we must also share his suffering. So you may be going through some suffering right now. And all of us are eventually going to face death unless Christ returns. And, I, and, and sometimes I wonder if he's going to return before I die because of what I see happening in this world these days. But listen, I don't have to fear death. And neither do you. Because I've already, I've already begun to experience a resurrection in my life. The Spirit of God, God's breath has come into me. And I'm just waiting for that to be completed. Well, let's look at another passage of Scripture. Paul writes, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There's no separation anymore. Remember in the Holy of Holies, there was a veil that separated the priests from the, from the Ark of the Covenant. You could only go in once a year. Well, all that's gone, and, and all of us are now priests, and all of us can go right before God. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, where is the Spirit of the Lord right now? He's in your life, and He's in my life, and we ought to be living with a joyful sense of freedom. And I know right now what's going on in our country and our world is crazy. It's tragic. It's sad. And it's so easy for us to get bound up and enslaved to this world and allow the world and its evil to oppress us. But you've got to learn to live, and I've got to learn to live in the middle of a very oppressive world with a valiant sense of freedom the freedom that's in here, the freedom of God's Spirit living in us. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be fearful. He says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. That's right now. You and I can reflect the glory of the Lord as we submit to His presence, as we breathe in the Lord and exhale the Lord into the world. 
he says, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Oh my. Can you and I, can we just stop feeling sorry for ourselves? Can you and I, can we stop looking at our circumstances and situations and and stop asking why me, why me? And believe me, I've been there and I'll probably be there again. But can we just put the brakes on that and recognize, God, you're in control. You know what's going on right now in my life. Be glorified in it, oh God. I find my freedom in you, not in this world, not in materialism, not in the stock market, certainly not in politics or politicians, but I find my freedom in you. Glorify yourself in me. Shine the spotlight of your glory on me, over me. See, that's that first resurrection. God is doing something in me. Is he doing something in you? I'm afraid that in American church today, we just, we look like, we look like we've been sucking on sour persimmons to the world around us. Complaining and upset and political and negative and fighting and contrary. That's not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the flesh, small s. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that lives in you and all of that lives in me. I've just got to get me out of the way. I've got to believe. Jesus says, do you believe that I am the resurrection? The resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person. His name is Jesus and Jesus says, if you have me, you have resurrection power. It's in you right now. Death is simply the peeling away of this old sinful flesh, right? To give me the body that God always intended for you and for me to have. So let's look at the second resurrection. Look what he says here. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we, uh, he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal his to when God will reveal who his children really are. Against this will all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. Boy, I have felt that groaning so much lately. I just groan for the Lord to come and rule and reign on this earth. I groan to be with him. And that groaning comes from that sense of his presence and that restlessness in my life. He wants me to look forward to something beyond this life because something's waiting. For we long for our bodies to be released, yes, <laughs> from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, ah, including the new bodies that he has promised us. That is the joy of the believer. That's the joy of the believer. We have so much to look forward to. 
The resurrection has begun in me. And someday it will be completed, and that includes a brand new body. And Jesus, Jesus demonstrated that whole process for you and me. For he suffered and glorified his Father. He died and was buried, and he rose up in a new body. That's a picture of you and me. It's a picture that Jesus, our forerunner, gives of what is going to happen in your life and my life. But I still want to answer one question that I've left hanging out there. Why was Jesus angry? Remember I I asked you that? I said, why did he get angry? Was he angry at Mary and Martha for confronting him? Was Was he angry at the people mourning and wailing? Was he angry at his father? Was he angry at himself? No. The shortest verse in the Bible says there in John 11 that he wept. He wept. Do you know why Jesus wept? The reason Jesus wept is not because he didn't make it on time. The reason Jesus wept is not because he felt sorry for himself. The reason Jesus wept is because he saw the grip that death has on people. The fear that death brings to people. Jesus came to defeat death for people. So there would have so there would not have to be any weeping anymore. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that death you have been taunted by God and defeated by him. I mean, look at these words. Listen. Paul writes, says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die. Amen. This scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Amen and amen. Now, I hope that this message encourages you tremendously. I hope it causes you to realize that even though the world may seem gloomy, and even though there may be a lot of bad stuff happening around you or even to you, that if you are a child of God, death does not have to defeat you. Death does not have to pull you down. Death is that open door to what will be someday your completion in your resurrected body. When my mom passed away three years ago, one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with. And I remember when I finally got the news being so angry at death. But you know, as I've dealt with that whole process and what happened to her. I've come to realize my mom is in such a wonderful place right now. 
she's in the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord just is this spotlight on her life. And I'm so glad that she's been freed and released. And soon, whether the Lord returns or I go home, I will see my mom and she'll be perfect in every way. And so will your mom. You've lost your mom. She's passed on and knew the Lord. And it gives us great hope as we celebrate what Christ has done for you and for me. You know, I've oftentimes felt kind of sorry for Lazarus because, you know, at the end of the story, Jesus tells him to roll the stone back and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of his tomb, right? He's got the wrappings around his body. I just have to imagine they were, you know, all over the place. He's kind of dragging them out. And he's, he's back to life again. And Mary and Martha are excited. And everybody else is excited. And many believed on Jesus because of that. But poor Lazarus, he's got to go through it all again. You and I don't have to. To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. May that give you great comfort. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us. I just thank you, Lord, that this is not the end. This is the beginning of life for us. And I want to thank you, Father, that we don't have to wait until we get to paradise to experience resurrection power. That resurrection power has been put in us. Your spirit has joined our spirit, Lord. May we surrender to your presence may we in this life may we in this life allow our difficulties our illnesses our challenging circumstances may we allow them to drive us to you in surrender and dependence on you and lord i just know i just know that as we do that we will experience that resurrection power in jesus name Amen. We'll see you next weekend.